to see everyone this morning. It's a beautiful day to enjoy. It's a wonderful time to take time to get to know our Savior through His Word together this morning. Our scripture reading is in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. I encourage you to uh, keep our business meeting in prayer and attend if you can. We have some things to discuss. We'll be discussing not only our budget and finances and uh, as well as praying and discussing to confirm Jesse Miller as elder here next week. So uh, after the service, fellowship dinner, please please feel free to stay and join us for those uh, times of discovering the Lord's will together. That's really what we want, isn't it? We want to follow the Lord to lead and direct us in the years to come. Also to mention that Alan Hart has been in the hospital. He is coming home this morning. Um, seems to be doing well. Uh, Debbie texted the uh, hallelujah. He's on his way home this morning, I believe. So keep him in your prayers. Okay, <clears throat> beginning of verse 1, Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having pre predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Father, this passage we read this morning is full of the riches of your blessings you've given us in Christ. And Father, we're thankful for your grace and your goodness which you have abounded towards us. And Father, no greater expression of that love and grace was found as, a, as found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. For Father, he took our burden, our sins, our guilt, our penalty upon himself on the cross. The innocent one, the spotless Lamb of God, took our sins, Father, and, and uh, you have laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Father, thank you that that death on the cross satisfied the Father, satisfied yourself in an adequate and full and complete payment for sin that in turn you might offer to us the gift of eternal life, Father. And Father, we will sing for eternity in the riches of your grace, and we're thankful for that this morning. And Father, may that song be on our hearts every day, and even today as we open your word, Father, may you impress us with your grace and your goodness to us. May we see the beauty of your person, Father, the wonder of an infinite and almighty God, who is personal with his created beings, who fellowships with us, would walk with us, would hold our hand through life. Father, you express that in the phrase, you are with us. And we're so thankful that you are a present help in trouble. And Father, we pray as we open your word today that we'd be humble before you, that we would come before your word with awe and respect, that we might allow your spirit to teach us more about your wonder and your goodness and your grace. And Father, you might equip us to be channels and vessels of that grace and of that love to others. And so Father, give us today. Give us boldness today 
and give us a willingness today to live out the things we've learned today in our daily lives. And Father, may we then have an impact on our, on our community, on the people around us, our relatives, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers. Father, may, may people see Christ in us and may you give us the boldness to share the message they need to hear, the message of eternal salvation. Father, we pray for those who are here today, but also those who are missing. We just pray you watch over them. Some are sick. We pray especially for those and especially for Alan today as he's um, returned from a hospital visit and just help him to heal and recover. And Father, we might recognize that we are in your hands and that, you, and that these folks, each one, Father, might find rest and comfort in your strength for them. And Father, we pray as well for the witness of, of our missionaries around the world, Father. We pray that you'll prosper, whether they're translating, whether they're directly teaching, Father, whatever hearts they have in the lives of the lives of men and women, boys and girls, that you will prosper even their work. That you might protect them from a hostile world and that you might embolden them in their witness, Father. We pray here at home once again that we would be missionaries at home along with them as well. And so we're thankful for, e for the opportunity to be together, for each one who's come today. Thank you that you've given us of your spirit to help us to understand the deep things of God. So be our teacher and guide. And may the Lord Jesus be exalted today among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Genesis chapter 30 is where we left off in our account of Isaac and Jacob and leading into the patriarchs, the 12 tribes of Israel. So Genesis chapter 30. We've seen Jacob travel to his family, to the household of Laban, to look for a wife and... and um, we saw all that went on last last week, and uh, looking for one and coming home with two, so to speak, and all the deception that was there, yet the grace of God that worked in spite of man's calamity. And what we find here then is uh, Jacob comes to the point in verse 25 where we picked it up that he's uh, ready to pull up stakes and head for home. So let's pick it up in Genesis 30, verse 25, and read a few verses here. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay I have found, if I have found favor in your eyes for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, name me your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, You know how I served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you have had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything if you will do this thing for me. I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown and brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And so here Jacob comes up with a, with a departure plan, an exit strategy, so to speak, to... Uh, um, prepare himself to take his family back home. And so he, qu he quests to leave, and Laban, of course, wanting him to stay because he has seen the prosperity of, of his, of his uh, 
ranch of his, of his sheep and, and livestock under Jacob's care. But, and so Jacob comes up with a plan. He thought this is, this is something that may work for both of us. And he knew this plan would appeal to Laban. He was going to keep all the multicolored lambs who were born, which obviously apparently were worth less than, than, and, and were less common. And so that would appeal to Laban, the chiseler, to think that, okay, Jacob's not going to get much out of this deal, so I'll take the bargain. And, and what we really have here as we go on in this passage is uh, two shrewd schemers both trying to one-up each other and get the better of each other. And that's why this appealed to Laban. And because we'll see as we go on here that immediately J he had Laban had a plan to minimize Jacob's profits and his numbers. So let's pick it up and read a couple more verses, verse 34, where it says, And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. He, he, you know, he, got a, he lit up with that suggestion. So Laban, verse 35, removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted everyone that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hands of his son. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. And so, first of all, Laban jumped on this opportunity to take all the current spotted and speckled ones and get them far away from Jacob. And he thought, this will take care of business because uh, assumably the speckled and spotted, the multicolored sheep and lambs, would reproduce the same. And so he thought, okay, we're going to get the better of this deal. We're going to take everyone that's currently in the flock, give them to his sons, and get them three days away so there's no chance of interbreeding. But Jacob also had a plan to help with his father-in-law. Let's, let's go on here in verse 37. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut tree, peeled white stripes in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks and the gutters, and the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so they would conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streak and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass whenever the strongest livestock conceived that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were, feeb were feeble, he did not put them in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Well, we kind of see here, this seemed all this confusion here, these two parts of Jacob's plan. One was his breeding plan, having to do with the peeled ro rods and the water troughs. And the other was to, bre to breed the stronger animals for himself. And Whatever this stood for worked for him. Now, most Bible teachers, theologians, think that in reality what was what this peeled rods idea was simply an old wives' tale. They don't know if there's anything to it. There's no evidence anywhere that, that uh, um, and I'm definitely not a shepherd, but I understand that this has absolutely nothing to do with, with, with the uh, breeding of the animals, and yet that something must have been a tradition or, a, or an old wives' tale that Jacob believed in and he used to grow his flocks. But he actually realizes there because it did work. Verse 43 says he became wealthy. He built his herds and along with that his servants. And he, so his estate became large. And yet even Jacob recognized the real cause of his financial empire. Verse 31 says, uh, excuse me, chapter 31 is going on. It says, now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, 
Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable towards him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flocks, and said to them, I see your father's countenance that is not favorable towards me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now rise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. Well, whatever reason Jacob used to to put these sticks in the watering troughs, he, in this chapter, recognizes ultimately that it was God who prospered them. And that's his recognition. It was God who had grown his herds. And so whatever you want to believe about this event, um, it seems to have been some superstition, old wives' tale, we recognize it was the reality it was God. And it's something we need to always remember in life. I like this verse in Zechariah 4, 6, where it says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And that God has to remind us frequently that if there's anything going to be accomplished in life, it's only by his power and by the ability that he gives. And we often sometimes take credit because of our own wits and wisdom, our plans and our schemes, the way we can find some measure of success or happiness in our lives and fail to recognize ultimately it is God. Who maybe was smiling down at this, at this uh, superstition or wives' tale, but in spite of it, prospered Jacob. It was God who blessed him. It seems Laban had, was changing the plan, the streaks, the speckled, and back and forth to try to get the better of him. And nonetheless, in spite of the mistreatment by his father-in-law, God prospered him. And he prospered him in spite of himself. God didn't need peeled sticks to bless Jacob, to grow his herd, herds. And yet, J and Jacob recognized that as God prepares him to return to the land of promise. Well, I think what you really find here is the fulfillment of God's promise, promise to Jacob. And he has told him in the past that he is going to bless him. We have seen that. It's an extension of the Abrahamic covenant. And in verse 3 of this chapter, Jacob recognized that God wants him to return to the land, and he tells him, I am with you. And God is fulfilling that aspect of the promise, to bring him back to the land of promise. And God says, go and I am with you. And it might have seemed a difficult move for Jacob. Before his, his empire had grown, his resources were limited. And yet God says, go, because I am with you. And it's always good to move when God is in it, isn't it? That's when we want to move, when God is leading. And we want to move when he leads, and we don't want to move when he does not lead. But God says, here, I'm with you. This is, this, this is where I want you to go. And so God not only fulfills that aspect of the promise, bringing him back once again to the land of promise, but also in the meantime, blessing him. And 
in his life because God promised to bless him and to make of him a great nation. And wait, that's really what you see here. You see the seed, the, the seeds of a great nation. You know, back in Genesis 28, 4, we find Isaac blesses Jacob with the blessing of Abraham. And I want to turn back to chapter 12 to remind us. We refer to this often, but let's see it again. Chapter 12 here in Genesis. And we'll see this, really, this, this covenant we call the Abrahamic covenant, this unconditional covenant that God gave to Abraham is really, you could call it a blessing arama of God's favor towards Abraham and his descendants. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We really see four parts of this great blessing of God bringing upon his people. God tells him he will bless him and his descendants, first of all. He says, I will bless you. In verse 2, I'm going to bless you and his descendants and make your name great. He also says, you shall be a blessing in verse 2. Another part of that blessing is that God was going to make into Abraham a blessing to the world around them. And that's God's intention for Israel, Abraham's descendants, is that they would be a blessing to the world around them. And God also says in regard to that, I'm going to bless those who, who, who bless you. And I think many believe that one of the reasons we've had a pros prosperous country is because of our attitude towards Israel, our support of Israel. And God promises that. You bless Israel, and I'm going to bless them just because they bless you, because they've looked upon you favorably. And then lastly, the fourth aspect of these blessings is in you, all the, world will, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And we believe that's a reference to the, the, the nation of Israel providing for us a Messiah. Now, I've mentioned this many times, but I'm, let's go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3, and let's see it. And I want you to see it firsthand, see it yourself, what God says about the fulfillment of this aspect of the blessing promise. Galatians chapter 3, where Paul refers back to Genesis chapter 12. Verse 7, it identifies us for us a discussion where he says in verse 7, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And so here in this portion, Paul claims Abraham as the father of spiritual children, of those who are of faith, those who have put their faith in Messiah, because the previous verse refers to Abraham's salvation in verse 6. Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. So those that are truly children of Abraham are the spiritual children, those who are of faith, those who have placed faith in the Savior. Verse 8 goes on to say, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And so this blessing in which all the families of the earth will be blessed was blessed in the salvation that was provided for not only Israel, but for the Gentiles as well, through faith and the good news that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And so here we find this connection in the scriptures, this clarification of how this blessing was fulfilled. And you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And here it's specifically identified as the Lord Jesus Christ, as the one who provided salvation for Jew and Gentile alike through faith alone. 
And he goes on then to clarify our, our salvation. Verse 10 goes on to say, For as many are as of the, as of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. And what he does here is he contrasts the Abrahamic covenant with the Mosaic covenant. Because the Pharisees and the religious order of the day had taken the, the Ten Commandments, the law, and made them a means of righteousness, a means of becoming right before God, a means of getting to heaven. And yet today we find that when you might ask somebody a question, if they've ever thought about eternity and you know, what would you say is the way to heaven? Many people spit out the Ten Commandments or some other work system similar to it. And Paul is saying here that in reality, as many who are under the works of the law are under a curse because you can't keep it all. That's what he says here. You've got to keep all the law. If you, James says if you offend in one point, you're guilty. And Romans 3 reminds us that the law is, through the law is the knowledge of sin. He said the law was given that every mouth might be stopped and that the whole world will become guilty before God. That's Romans 3, 19 and 20. The law stops our mouth, stops our bragamony of confidence in ourself as good enough to get to heaven and declares us guilty as sinners before God. As, as the verse goes on in verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the law in reality declares us guilty. And Paul goes on in later in Romans to discuss the fact that the law is good. It's holy, righteous, and good. It's God's standards of morality. But it does, is not the means to, to, to attaining heaven, to becoming right before God. And that's what he says here. He's contrasting the Abrahamic covenant as being better than the Mosaic covenant because the Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. It was a promise given to God to provide salvation for the world. The Mosaic covenant was conditional. It was the, it was the economy under which Israel lived that if they would submit and obey, they'd be blessed. But if not, they would be cursed. And so he says here that no, one is, that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Our relationship to God is a relationship of faith, a relationship where we believe God and we trust God. That's how we relate to God. It is not confidence in ourselves, in our, in our ability to keep and maintain or, pr or pr produce our salvation. It is something God has provided for us. And here in Galatians, it makes it very clear. In fact, Maybe back in verse 16 of chapter 2, this discussion was, was started when he says in verse 16 of chapter 2, knowing that, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And I don't care if it's, it's to, whether it's to gain salvation or to try to keep your salvation. No one will ever be justified by doing good, by good works, by the works of the law. Salvation comes one way, through faith alone in Christ, who took care of our sin debt on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And so that's the discussion that is entered into here. And that's why back in chapter 3, it goes on to, in verse 13 to say, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's the answer. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us through his blood, through his death, burial, and resurrection. He became a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ took our curse on himself so that we could be forgiven. Verse 14, That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
And the Spirit comes, comes into our lives when we trust Christ as Savior, and that's something we attain by faith and faith alone. That's why the Reformers' motto was faith alone, by faith alone in Christ. And that's the salvation, and that's the blessing God has provided. What a great blessing. Because many of us grow up, or many grow up, I should say, thinking that their only chance of entering eternity, entering the presence of God, is by doing their best. And that's a burden. But the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. It removes that burden. It removes our guilt. And when the Lord Jesus took our, took our sins on the cross. And that's why the only message of salvation that is a biblical message is the fulfillment of the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. That God would provide freely in his grace, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What a great blessing that we enter into by faith. Now, let's go back to Genesis 30. We have that aspect of the blessing that we see in God fulfilling to him, but also we recognize there's two other aspects of that blessorama, you might, as you say, might say in Genesis chapter 12, the fourth part blessing, that God is fulfilling he's keeping his promise <coughs> and one of those was that he was to be a blessing we see that in the reading here in, in verses chapter 30 verses 27 through 30 Laban even recognizes I've been blessed because you're here God's fulfilling that promise he had made Jacob a blessing in this case it might have been wise business decisions or whatever the case may be but God used Jacob to be a blessing to to his to the people he was around he he made life better for Laban. And we recognize the difference between Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church because Old Testament Israel was a physical people. They were looking for physical blessings and in, enjoying the physical promises of God. They have a physical land to dwell in. But that all pictures the New Testament church who are a spiritual people, not a physical people. We're united in Christ, not by nationality. And we are one in Christ and we have spiritual blessings. And and we are to be a spiritual blessing to others around us. That's, that's the idea here. Jacob was a blessing. God's keeping his promises. I'm going to make you a blessing. You know, in the first stop on his, on his tour, Laban's household, he did. God made him a blessing to the households and bringing prosperity to Laban. Second thing we see, as we've mentioned already, is that he was blessed by God. In the end of in chapter 31, 6 through 12, we see this, that Jacob recognizes that it was God who blessed him. A verse we did not read. In verse 16, look, jumping ahead, says chapter 31, says, For all these riches which God has taken from our fathers are really ours, his wives say, and our children, now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Notice they recognize God is the one who had given them these riches and had greatly blessed them. He was blessed. God promises. So we find here the fulfillment of this covenant taking place in the life of Jacob because what we really see is the seed of a nation being born. We looked at last time all the children that were born to, to Jacob's household, all the 12 tribes of Israel, and it was the seeds of the nation as God was keeping his promise, which tells us that God's going to keep keeping his promise, and, and that kingdom, which God has not yet established, the kingdom reign of Christ, in which he sits on the throne of David, will be fulfilled, because God will keep his promise. He started to keep his promise, and he will continue to keep that yet in the future. Now, Let's go over to the book of Ephesians. Let's, let's, let's bring this over to a New Testament application where we read in our scripture reading. Ephesians chapter 1, we find that, you know, a favorite verse, well-known verse, hope it's a favorite of yours, in verse 3 where, God where the Bible talks about our blessing. 
where first he says, Blessed be God, praise be to God, acknowledge God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. He's referring to believers, Jew and Gentile alike. Bless us with all spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And thus, our blessings are enjoyed in the realm of our standing in Christ. Because that's how God sees the believer. We stand in Christ. We stand in him forgiven. We stand in him, we, we stand in him accepted. And our blessings as well are in him. And he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And... So in reality, in a Christian life, re realizing our blessing is not as much as us trying to attain them. And too often we see this prescription and formula in the Christian life that if you are an obedient Christian, then God will bless you. Well, the answer is, I'm already blessed. That's our standing. That's our favor. That's grace. God's blessings are unconditional. Now, whether or not we enjoy them is a matter of faith, isn't it? But the blessings are unconditional. He has blessed us. This is a past tense. This is something we possess. We have spiritual riches beyond our imagination in Christ. Every spiritual blessing has been, we've been blessed with in Christ, and we can't imagine the riches of life in Christ because that's what he's referring to, isn't it? This is a spiritual relationship. This is a family relationship we have with our Father, with Jesus as our Savior and our friend and guide, the Spirit as our inner teacher and, and enabler, and we find blessings beyond imagination. That doesn't mean that God doesn't bless us physically. He's given us richly all things to enjoy, the Bible says. He, he's promised to supply our needs. But our focus and our blessings are primarily spiritual. Let's go on here. We read through this, but let's just look at a couple, a few verses here on through the book because that's the theme of this book, the riches we have in Christ. Now jump down to verse 7 where it says, in, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And what a rich thing to have is the, is the grace of God that offers the forgiveness of sins through his blood. Verse 18, so that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the exceeding, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. And thus his inheritance in us, the fact that we belong to him, is rich. And that's what these verses refer to, the blessings of Christ as our spiritual riches. Where Jacob was prospered physically and was going to leave Haran, very wealthy man, yet we are rich in Christ. That's the focus of our riches. Going on to verse chapter 2, verse 4, which says, But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love when he, wherewith he loved us, even when we are dead in sins, has made us live together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Rich in mercy. God's rich in his mercy towards us to offer to us the, the forgiveness of sins, even though... We were dead in Christ. He's made us alive. Chapter 3, jump over to chapter 3, where you see more of the riches of God's favor. Verse 8 says, To me, who am the less, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I might should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. They're unsearchable. You know, we can't even begin to imagine the depth of the love God has for us in spite of ourselves because of grace. The forgiveness, the acceptance, the investment God has put in us, all because of his grace. They're undeserved, they're unearned, and they're rich. These are the riches that God wants to discover. And really, when we come to church on Sunday mornings, we're coming to the, uh, you know, the excavation site, aren't we? We're coming to mine out riches. The riches are the wonder of his person, of his grace, and his kindness towards us. His riches in Christ. 
And we spend much of our life, and you know, we have to make a living and support our families, and much of our life focus on, on our portfolio. But God wants to encourage us to discover the riches we have in Christ and fall in the way, to realize how rich he is towards us. What, what a tremendous statement of God's favor towards us. Verse 16 of the same chapter. I'm reading. I think I have. Yeah, I know I wrote the wrong verse. There it is. Oh, I have the right verse. I just have the, the wrong eyesight. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God and then onward to him who does exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. Riches. God is rich towards us. You know, sometimes when we are overwhelmed and downtrodden, we, we lose sight of our spiritual checkbook to realize God's favor and kindness and the goodness that he's shown towards us. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. We became rich at his expense because he took our poverty on the cross. 1 Timothy 6.17 tells us, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul talking about his persecution, says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Paul says, We're seen as poor men, paupers, yet we're making many rich. And how does he make them rich? He makes them rich in Christ as he presents the love of Christ to them. And has having nothing, yet possessing all things. You see, that's our orientation. We're citizens of heaven. We, we got, Jesus has gone on before to prepare a, a, a place for us. What a blessing. We have a heavenly address. And yet, that we may have nothing in this life, yet we possess all things in Christ. I like these verses in 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Amazing thing. We're children of God as, as wretched sinners. Yet he's brought us into his family. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. So one of the great blessings we have is the anticipation of future glory. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And that's what we have to look forward to, as Titus 2.13 says, as we look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed in our standing in Christ. Blessed in the riches we have to enjoy as we enjoy all that he's given us, as we enjoy him, as we enjoy functioning as his, as his child and the blessings yet future, and yet no doubt for eternity, we'll enjoy the riches of his goodness and grace to us. And so, what we see back in Genesis 30 and 31, God beginning to perform his promise to bless the family of Abraham, the family of Jacob. We see it beginning in, this, in, his, in his time in Haran. But we also see, and we see that, excuse me, fulfilled spiritually in the church, but we also see 
fulfilled in the church today the fact that we are to be a blessing to the world around us, just as Jacob was. We have the privilege to show the world the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest message that it needs to hear. We need to show people how, how we were designed by their creator to live life, because that's really living. How the world lives is not reality. They're all chasing shadows and mirages, thinking it's going to provide happiness and fulfillment, and it never does. Whether you find it in, 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 in just humanistic living or in spiritualism or wherever you false religion, wherever you look, there's only one way you find your identity and your fulfillment, and that is in Christ. And we're here to show them that. That's the blessing we bring to the world. We, we bring a life that contributes to stability in society when we embrace biblical values and stand for biblical truth. We promote a peaceful existence as we learn to trust the Lord in, our, in, our, in every aspect of life and don't become, be, become combative and competitive and so on in our dealings. Just by being a good neighbor, as God shows us the, the, the compassion of Christ and the consideration of others, is something God develops in us, and that, can, that shows people the love of Christ. To be gracious and unselfish in one's dealings with others. That's what God produces in us. We don't, we don't have, we, we ought not to have these disputes that our many people have with, with friends and neighbors because God's told us to be compassionate and, and, and kind and consider, considerate and giving towards others. We value more highly the, our testimony of Christ than we do hanging on to the physical possessions of life. And of course, we proclaim his salvation. That's the greatest blessing we could be as we enjoy that blessing aspect of blessing the whole world through Christ, we get to proclaim it. And that's, and that's what the world needs. You know, when you look around the world, I, you know, sometimes I'll take some time to look at the headlines and read a few articles, and it just makes you mad sometimes and angry, the direction the world is going as it departs from, ra from biblical truth and standards. And as you look at it, we recognize the world is so broken and so lost, and we have the message. We have the message that can open one's eyes to the reality of Christ, the answer for the wickedness around us, the ungodliness around us, the rebellion around us. And, we, and, and, and that's the message we bring, because we know that God still rules. He is with us in our journey, is he not, just as he was with Jacob. We have the answer, the good news of Jesus Christ, the answer that heals. It's, it's the only thing that heals. It's the only thing that brings hope. It's the only thing that helps. And that's what the world needs. You know, and, and God's called us to be good neighbors, and some of that may include charity. It might mean helping our neighbors and reaching out to them. But ultimately, it's displaying to them the love of Christ, who they need to know because God is a God who is for his children. And God wants to bring our hurting friends and neighbors and family and relatives to, to, to that hope of Jesus Christ, the faith in Christ alone, so they might find the fathering of God, the help of the Spirit, the wisdom of the Word. And, and that's what they need. As we look around us, you know, we sometimes need to stop and step back and look at the person sitting right next to us, the person across the street, the person in the shopping line that is so slow it drives me crazy <laughs> sometimes, that these people need Christ. The person whose child is disobedient and, they, and a parent that does not know how to handle them instead of being critical. In a patient, we, need, we have the message. And Lord, you have an opportunity for me to minister to this, this person. That's what the world needs. That's the blessing we can be. And it's like when we look around us at all the people that are hurting and, 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 and hopeless in life and all the rebellion, even though they don't know it, they have no idea, they don't realize it. It's like, what are we waiting for? 
Why are we shutting our mouths? Why are we criticizing people instead of praying for people? And so we have to ask ourselves, who have I told this week, this month, this year, or ever, about the hope there is in Jesus Christ? That's what the world needs more than anything else. And that's how we contribute to life. And we also, I believe, see this idea of being a blessing to the world happen in our everyday life. Call it the workplace, whether it's the home or in the workplace. Jacob was a great blessing to Laban's household. And when Christians, I believe when Christians who are walking with Christ, motivated by his grace, working as unto the Lord, serving as unto the Lord, not as unto men, that they'll bring a level of productivity and success to their employer wherever they influence it. I have seen it in my own life and the life of others. It might be small and measured to the size of the corporation, but you can, bring, you can bring that type of success because God gives wisdom and he delights to bless those who are walking with him. And Christians as well, living in the love of Christ, will contribute to a healthy, peaceful environment in the workplace. Instead of, instead of crucifying the boss over coffee, we, we can pray for him and trust the Lord no matter how bad it can get. Now, some may resent our contribution living out Christ, enjoying the bl being a blessing of Christ as God develops us, grows us by his grace. Some may resent it, but so do your children when you discipline them. But you do it anyway. And that's what God's called us to, to bring the message of salvation to the world, whether they like it, whether they resent us or not, whether they reject us or not. That should not hinder us from you and I from being a blessing to others in the love of Christ and for the glory of God. And so we see here in the history of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were blessed by God, became a great nation. They were the blessing to the world around him, so we, you and I ought to be as well. And we start by enjoying the blessings God's given us, by rejoicing in the Lord, by mining out the riches, and living in light of all he's provided us in Christ. And as God in his love causes us to be a blessing, and as we bring the message to the world that doesn't think it needs, may even resent, nonetheless God will motivate us by his grace to cause us to be that light, that their eternal souls might be saved, and that they might be delivered from the pitfalls and tragedies that life often presents. So, how are we doing in the blessing department? Are we enjoying the riches of his grace? Are we delighting when we mine out, whether it's in our personal Bible time and corporate worship and personal fellowship with other Christians, when, you, when God reveals to you another glorious diamond of truth that glitters in, in your hearts? And then are you sharing it, not hoarding it, sharing it with the world that they might too, might come to know the riches of God's grace? Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for the riches you've given us. They're unimaginable, they're unthinkable, they're unsearchable. And, we can't, and even for the future, you tell us that we can't even imagine the blessings yet you have for us future. And Father, we are humbled to recognize such favor that you show to us in Christ. Thank you that you saved us and you called us with a holy calling. Yet we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. And yet, Father, you have given us the forgiveness of sins and exalted us as your sons to this glorious position of being heirs in Christ. Father, may we discover those riches. May we live in light of them. And may we share them to a hurting world around us. So take the things we've learned today and use them in our lives for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.